Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode. Today, I decided to answer some listener questions from around the world. Now, I obviously received quite a lot of questions, so I'm not going to answer them all because that would take me forever. That could be its own show by itself. But I thought I'd cluster them or group them into common themes and focus on the most common themes that show up or the most popular themes that show up. So the first one I get, and this is a common question from listeners in the United States, all the way to Indonesia, South Africa, Brazil, Vietnam, Russia, Poland, the UK. It's probably the most common question of all. And I'll tell you why the question exists as I talk you through it. So basically the question is, Michael, you've explained in many videos what is corporate strategy. So how does it differ from other kinds of strategy? Why does this study seem more complex. Why is it when we apply those principles of analyzing corporate strategy that you laid out earlier, the study doesn't lend itself to such easy solutions? In other words, aka, why is this study more complex or different from a typical corporate strategy study? Now, if you've noticed that, if you've seen that difference, that's good, right? So that means you're aware of things that are happening. You are picking up the right concepts because you can see the differences. If you haven't noticed, this is more complex than a typical strategy study, corporate strategy study, that's fine. Everyone is going to get to that realization at their own time. It doesn't matter if you get there early. It doesn't matter if you get there later. So don't worry if you haven't seen that difference. It will come eventually. You will see there's a very big difference between this corporate strategy study and other corporate strategy studies. Now, in this episode, I'm going to talk you through that difference, why it exists, and how to help you think about that difference, because that difference is quite significant. It makes the study enormously more complex than if we were doing the corporate strategy study for General Electric or GM or Ford or any other major multinational corporation. So let's start off by talking about what makes corporate strategy different from business unit strategy or a marketing strategy or a product strategy or a pricing strategy because corporate strategy is distinctively different. There are three major differences. One, in a corporate strategy study or engagement or project, depending on the firm you work at, they're all fine to call them by those different names. In a corporate strategy study, the objective function, the reason for being for the company is open to question. So in a true corporate strategy study, you will arrive at a client and say, hey, you are a automobile company. We believe through all your analysis and so on, you'll show that it makes sense that for you not to be an auto company, but for you to be a general logistics company. Or even worse, don't be an auto company, become a software company, right? You can see how big the leap can be from being an auto company to being a software company. That's a big jump. It changes everything about the company. In a corporate strategy study, the objective function of the entire business is open for discussion. 
in any other type of strategy, you will use the objective function of the business, which is we want to maximize profits by being the best auto company as a guide for what your division is doing. For example, if you operate in the luxury sedan division of Volkswagen, whatever that is, the, the Bugatti. If you heard of the Bugatti, it's this ultra luxury car. They make one version, which I believe sells for 3 million euros, I think, or dollars. And there's just like 80 of them or 100 of them made, all handmade. It's the ultra luxury marquee of Volkswagen. Now, if you are the CEO of Bugatti, which is a division or a part of Volkswagen, you, it's not your job to question Volkswagen's strategy. Your job is to execute your strategy in a way that supports Volkswagen's strategy. Do you see the difference? It's a big difference, right? Another example, again, an auto example. If you ran the division of a major auto company that is responsible for procuring raw materials for the entire company with its parts and engines and so on, it's not your job to question whether the company needs to buy three million spark plugs. Your job is to get the best deal on the three million spark plugs. It's not your job to question, hey, you know what? Let's bring in a major consulting firm and say, should we be in the auto business? Maybe we don't need spark plugs. No. At any level below corporate strategy, your job is to execute your strategy or to develop your strategy relative to enabling the corporate strategy. Only at the corporate strategy level is the objective function open for debate. So at the, in corporate strategy versus every other type of strategy, the objective function is open for debate. Then once you determine the objective function, you need to pick a market where you'll operate in, in the future. That's very hard to do. Despite what consultants may tell you, we have no ability to predict what markets will be successful in the future. We have no ability to do that. If you hire a management consultant thinking they have some formidable tool or technique to tell you where a market will be in 10 years or 15 years or predict the rise of new markets, you are making a terrible and tragic mistake because it's not possible. No tool in the world exists. No one has that ability, and if someone is telling you they can do that, they are lying to you, or they don't know their own limitations. If you think you can predict the future, which means predicting where markets will go, you are wrong. But management consulting in corporate strategy is about making a bet on a market. We actually have to make a bet on a market. We may not be able to predict it, but we have to use reasonableness to pick some market. So the other element is finding a market where we're going to compete and picking an objective function that will help us be successful in that market. Now, if you want to see how to be successful in the market, the entire, this channel is based on the turnaround or transformation of a big electricity utility. This channel is the simplified version of that study. If you want to see the full training program for that study, you can go to our website and you can see all the videos. And a big part of our training is about how you pick the market. The final element, the third element of what makes corporate strategy different is that you pick a new objective function, you choose a market you want to compete in, and then you determine how you're going to do that. Basically, how to go from the objective function to the market is the how, right? And there are some other elements, which is about you know, flexibility. At the board level, you have flexibility in determining whether you've picked 
the right objective function and the right market. Let's assume you want to go in the automotive market, right? But you know there's some changes taking place in the market. At the board level, at the corporate level, you need to make sure that there's some work being done in the company to prepare you for the scary possibility that the automotive market may not exist as it has always existed. And you need to make changes for that. At the business unit level, you don't have to worry about that. That's the board's job. At the business unit level, you just got to execute your plan relative to what is needed for the corporate strategy. At the corporate level, where the corporate strategy is set at the board level of the entire company, you need to determine how flexible you're going to be to shift the company if some disruptive new business model or technology arrives. Usually, when a new technology arrives, it doesn't disrupt you because the technology is new, but because the technology leads to a new business model. So, I've given you sort of the general understanding of why the study is more complex. And I can understand that it may be hard for you to internalize this because we're talking about a huge, monstrous uh, state-owned or public utility. It's hard to get around your head around this concept. So I've decided to come up with an example to make it easier for you, right? And this example is about um, a police force. So imagine you were brought in to improve the productivity of the New York City Police Department. The men protecting what many in New York, especially people in New York would say is the greatest city in the world. Now, so you're brought in to improve the productivity of the New York City Police Force. I'm going to use this example to show you how hard it is to come up with the objective function for a state-owned or government entity. Because really, the big difference is in the corporate strategy, the objective function can change. And people say, yeah, but I understand that. But what you got to understand is how hard that is to do, not just for a publicly-owned company like General Electric and Ford and Tesla and a pharmaceutical company that's traded on the stock market. Here, when I say public company, I'm referring to a company that's traded on the stock market and is owned by investors that are not the government. When I say private in this episode, I'm referring to a company owned by the government, even if it's traded on the stock market, where the government has the final say. Or a company that's on an organization that's not even traded, it's just owned by the government, right? So that's how I'm going to use the word public and private here. You're going to see that creating the objective function for a company that is public, traded in the stock market and owned by investors that are not the government, is very hard. And you're going to see it is practically impossible. Well, not impossible, but it requires deep, deep skills once you get to a company owned by the government, right? So we're going to use the example of the New York City Police Department. Now, before I continue, if you listen to the show Partner Memoirs, how I became a director in my 20s, one of the fastest people to get there, I did a lot of work for government entities. You wouldn't know that because these are major companies in the world that happen to be owned by governments. And you can see it's very exciting work. But if you want to know more about how to manage uh, a situation where the objective function is really complex to analyze, you should listen to that show. So let's start off with this example, right? New York City Police Department. So we've got the New York City Police Department. We want to increase productivity. So the starting point is to have a definition for productivity. The definition for productivity is output value in dollars divided by input costs in dollars. So for example, output value in dollars could be your profits divided by your input costs. That's all of your costs in dollars. Your output value could be your market capitalization in dollars divided by your, all your costs in dollars. To make it easy, let's say output value here is, product, is uh, profits. 
Because when I start getting to market cap, it's going to require me to go into some detail of explaining corporate finance, which I don't want to focus on here. So let's make it easy and go with profit. So total profits divided by total costs, right? That's ratio. Now, clearly, if your costs stay the same, but your profits keep on going up, you're becoming more productive. You are doing more valuable things with what you have, right? If your profits stay the same and your costs go up, then the ratio drops. Profit divided by a rising cost base, that means the ratio goes down and you're less productive. So that's the easy thing to understand, right? That's not complex. That's how you raise productivity at any company in the world. Now, let's bring that to the New York City Police Department. Let's apply that equation, right? Productivity equals output value over input costs. You should see an immediate problem here. There is no output value for the New York City Police Department. The New York City Police Department doesn't measure profitability. They don't measure revenue. Some people, when, when I do this example with them to explain the difficulties of objective functions and applying uh, business measures to government, say, well, let's measure the amount of tickets and citations that are issued by the New York City Police Department. You could do that, but it's a revenue figure, not a profit figure. And many companies can have ballooning revenue and declining profits. Worse, it's not the overriding goal of the New York City Police Department to issue citations. Even though citations may be large, I've seen the way people drive and park in New York, I'm sure it's very large, but even though that number may be large, it's just a sliver of what the New York City Police Department is meant to do. They are not citation, citation issuing automatons, right? They are people that are meant to serve and protect. At least that's what they say, and I think they do a pretty good job in, in carrying out that duty, given all of the difficulties they face, right? So, clearly the definition fails. You can see that very quickly. There's no output value here, right? Input cost is easy. It's basically the budget of the New York City Police Department. That's the cost to do everything. The total budget is the total input cost, but the output value is difficult. There's the problem. First problem you see about public sector or government entities or state-owned enterprises. The output value is not always clear, right? Now, you may argue and say, but Michael, in this particular case, it's a power utility and the emission of profits. That's true. But then what makes this case hard is that you don't know how the government is using the power utility. It's maybe willing to forego profits to achieve some greater good, which is a public sector good, which, again, you need to apply the public sector definition of output value. And that's why this case becomes so hard, because it's not we're not just chasing profits. If we just chase profits, it would be very easy, right? But let's continue, right? So you can see that a standard definition of productivity used by every single company and every single organization in the world fails when it comes to the public sector. So what is the output value? How do we measure that? We'll, we'll get to that in a second, right? But let's talk about the input cost a little bit. Let's assume, just in this part of the discussion, it is easy to measure output value, right? So typically speaking, if you want to raise productivity, the bottom should get smaller, right? The more productive you are, the bottom should get smaller. So what we're saying is the more productive the New York City Police Department is, the fewer cops and the smaller organization they should have. Do you see that? Because productivity is output value of input cost. Numerator at the top divided by denominator at the bottom. So one way to raise it, to raise this uh, ratio, is to make the top bigger to make the bottom smaller. 
Now, if you make the bottom smaller, that means a smaller footprint of cops, fewer cops on the streets, fewer precincts, and a smaller budget overall. You could very well have fewer cops in the streets, fewer precincts, but a bigger budget if you're relying on technology and so on. But the bottom line is that as a government agency becomes more productive, it should become smaller. Or at least its budget must become smaller relative to its output value. Right? Think about that. It's just basic logic. So if you have a government entity telling you they're becoming more productive, but their budget is becoming bigger and they're doing less, they're automatically not productive. Now, the only time someone can be, this police force, for example, could be more productive, even though their budget is rising, is if the value they create on the top is rising at a faster rate than the denominator, or it's not rising at a faster rate, but they're covering a bigger area. So maybe the New York City Police Department is asked to cover a bigger area. Do you see that? So when government entities are getting more productive, the denominator, like any other entity, must get smaller. Shrink, 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 shrink. So if you go to a police department around the world and they tell you they're becoming more productive, over time, the size of the police force must shrink. Unless a case can be made that the only reason you have to keep the police force large is because if you remove them, crime would go back up. But here's a problem with that. Right? That could very well be true. Maybe you need all these cops out on the streets to keep the crime rates low. But then you, in effect, live in a police state because the only reason crime is low is not because the citizens are behaving differently, but because they're afraid of the police. Do you see, see the problem here? You don't, no one wants to live in a police state. You want to live in a state where there's no cops and everyone behaves themselves. But if the only reason people are behaving themselves because cops are out on the street as a deterrent You've got other issues to deal with. But this is not the main part of the case. We're still about to come to the meat of the case, which makes this difficult, right? I pointed out earlier that output value for a police department is a worthless measure. It can't work for them. Output value for most government entities can't work for them. So what should be the output value? How do you measure value created by a police force? Now, some of you would say, well, Michael, let's measure the number of people that are arrested. The more arrests, the output value is going up. They're doing a good job. Fair enough. But here's the problem. If crime spikes and gets out of control, and because crime is getting out of control, the police force is arresting more people, is that a more productive police force? Imagine you lived in a city where crime went up 300%, and because crime went up 300%, the police force arrested 50% more people while the budget stayed the same. Is that a more productive police force? I think no. I think we'd all agree that's a failing police force, right? This is not to take away from the fact that they are, you know, their lives at risk as police officers and the citizens' lives at risk because of crime. The hard, cold facts is they are failing. So clearly, arrests can't be everything, right? What about the number of criminals that are actually convicted? Okay, fair enough. You could argue that, well, Michael, the police force is behaving well and doing a good job if the protocol they follow to arrest a suspect, book the evidence, and assemble the evidence is such a high standard that the conviction rate goes up. That's I could accept that to some degree, but you have a problem here. Same problem as before. One, if crime goes to the roof and the percent... Let's say crime goes to the roof, right? Previously, the police force was arresting people. 
Only 20% of those arrests were done correctly with the proper evidence and documented the right way, so it led to a conviction. If the total number of people arrested goes up and the percentage of correct policing stays the same, the absolute number, 20% of a bigger number, is a bigger number. So naturally, more people would be convicted. So do you see that the police force doesn't have to improve for the number of convictions to improve if the number of crimes go up. Worse, convictions are not solely a function of the police force. You could have a better prosecution department or a weaker judiciary. You have a weaker judiciary which is not standing up to the prosecution, they'll put more people behind bars. You have a top-notch prosecution team, and I would say top-notch here, they are good at getting people convicted, even if the police force is sloppy and the judge is weak, well, especially since the judge is weak. So you see here, do you want to live in a state or a city or a country where crime is up, the police are just arresting more people. Convictions are because you've got a formidable prosecution and a weak defense and the judiciary is weak. I don't think anyone would consider that a wonderful place to live, right? So you see the problem. Now, some of you may respond and say, but Michael, what about prevention, right? What if we measured a police force by its ability to prevent crimes? Now, we get into an interesting debate here because if a police force, let's assume you had a a police force that prevented crime. Let's assume crime went down to 80%. Everyone's happy, right? You can now get drunk on a Saturday night and walk home with a buzz knowing no one's going to jump up from behind and slash your throat. It's a wonderful thing to be young and able to consume alcohol. And you giddily walking along the pier or the boardwalk or the harbor, wherever crimes occur. I'm not familiar with New York that much. But anyway, would that be a good thing? Now, here's the thing. It probably would be a good thing, right? But it doesn't it depend on the way preventions occur? I mean, for example, if you lived in a state where cops walked around in riot gear and they moved around in armored vehicles and they never got out of the armored vehicles and they communicated with you through a drone and a television screen and a loudspeaker, would you be happy with that? No. Would you be happy if there was a curfew at 10 p.m.? in Times Square every day. I don't think anyone's going to be happy with that, right? Especially not those guys trying to get money from you for taking photographs with them on Times Square, like Elmo and the Naked Cowboy and so on. Those guys would be up in arms. Right? They may cause crime, and the crime may spiral out of control. So you can see uh, it's about the way you prevent crimes as well. So I think what you can see here is that the output measure, the output value for the New York City Police Department is not one measure. For a private sector company, or well, sorry, for a public sector company, in this example, public sector means something listed on the stock exchange and owned by investors that are not the government, you'll measure market cap, you'll measure profitability. It becomes easy. For a state company, what is output value? Now, you can make this complicated and say output value is if preventions go up or crime prevention goes up, and the number of arrests go up. In an ideal world, you want no arrests because there's 100% prevention. But it's not about 100% prevention, it's about the quality of the prevention as well, right? But when you take over a police department, you don't take over a utopian police force where you can do whatever you want. When you take over a police force, you already have all of these things occurring. You have murders taking place. You have police not responding, so you have to track all these things. So if you have crimes taking place, it will be 
numbers reported. Of those reported, how many did the police respond to? Of the ones they respond to, how long do they take? Of the ones that they respond to and they get there in time, are they able to build a case? How long does it take to build a case? Can they apprehend a suspect? Can they book the suspect? Do they have a valid evidence collected with probable cause in a legal way? Can they hand that over to the prosecution? Can prosecution build a case? Do they, are they willing to bring a case? If they bring a case, do they get a conviction? If they get a conviction, is it overturned? So, And you can see here that how in the world do you get one measure to measure output value? It's very hard. Loosely, you'd say prevention and capturing, but you can see you can break those down even further, right? As I mentioned earlier, just because prevention goes up is not always a good thing. The issue here is that also, you've got to ask yourself, if prevention is really where you want to fight your battle, because if you're trying to go tough on policing, you fail at prevention anyway, what drives prevention? You have an educated population who understands crime is wrong. Wonderful. You have an educated population who understands crime is wrong, and they have the opportunities to earn money legally or ethically, they probably wouldn't commit crime. Let me ask you this question. Is therefore prevention something you measure the police force for, or is something you measure society for in its ability to educate the population, which is an education department measure, and the ability to provide jobs, which is not a function of the police department? So do you see how complicated it gets very fast? Because typically when we think of a police department, we think of someone maintaining law and order. But that's you measure a police force and its ability to maintain law and order if you've decided that there's a big problem, society has failed, that's the role of a police force. And that's maybe part of the reason we have problems with police forces because we think of them as maintaining law and order, which means society has already failed. But if we think of, of a police force as simply an enabler of a society versus an enforcer of justice, you have a different measure, right? And that's the challenge you face on this study. Think about this. Let's bring it back to the study, right? Because I don't want to get too much focus on a purely non-profit-based uh, public sector entity. In this study, we have the same problem. What is the objective function? Is it to make profits? Or is it to serve the greater good of the government? Because the greater good of the government is not necessarily to make this entity seek profits. And hopefully you can see that disconnect, right? But the solution is simple. We are driven by the funding needs of this entity. This entity can't be funded by the government. They are going to be funded from external investors, hopefully the World Bank and so on. The World Bank has a profit objective. External funders like hedge funds and whatever will have a major profit objective. You can only use the money you borrow from them to do things that generate a profit, right? So... We have two broad ways to invest here. We can build a core infrastructure to fix the problem in the long term, or we can help the rural areas right now by keeping the lights on and fixing the generators and transmission lines and distribution lines. The return on that is going to be pretty small, but it will help people. The return on building new power stations, nuclear, coal, hydro, is very big. The return to the country, you only see it in 7 to 10 years when the power stations go online. What do you think we do? It's very easy. We build. We are recommending you build the power stations because we have no choice. You can't get money to bulk up the rural areas in the short term because no one wants to give them money to do that. Now, you may say, but Michael, this, you know, this is not true. This is not the way it works. Of course this is the way it works. 
if a country is failing to pay its bills and the only way it can have money to equip its police force, it has to get money from the donor community. That donor community will say, well, if you want to equip your police force with our money, you have to do it in a certain way. You need to run the police force in this way, have them accountable in this way, and have them follow the, these objectives which we think are appropriate for a police force. A lot of times in strategy, while you may, maybe, maybe it's possible to do whatever you want, a lot of times you are constrained by the source of your funding. In this police department example, it's very hard to optimize a police department. Even if the money's coming from your government and the strings attached, it's still fairly loose. But even in that situation, knowing the numerator you're going to optimize is very hard. There's no one numerator. It's usually a couple of them, like prevention, prosecution. And within prosecution, it's you've got to find the criminal, arrest them, build a case. It's more than one measure. You have to optimize all of them, right? If you really want to focus, you focus on prevention so you can cut out the other part. If you focus on prevention and you do that well, it's not just a police department role. It's education, jobs. So you can see it's not just a police department role. And if it's education and jobs and police departments just become an enabler, you need to have a smaller police department. A large police department is not a sign of progress. It's a sign you have failed, actually. And the final point I want to make is that the way you fund yourself determines to a large degree what you can do. Now, hopefully you've enjoyed that. Hopefully you can see the complexity we're dealing with. It's not complex to us because we have a way of thinking this through. And, you know, I was a partner for a very long time dealing with these issues. So I'm familiar in terms of how to think it through. My hope is that I have taught you how to do that. Because the last thing you want to do is walk into any company and just assume that, well, you can take any business measure like productivity and throw it onto a government entity or any other entity and just assume it will work and assume that you and secondly assume you understand the objective of an organization so i think many of you when you started listening to this episode you thought that um, the police force job was to ensure law and order not really when you need a police force you failed already the police force job is to enable a society that already follows law and order principles. As always, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed putting it together. Remember that the latest episodes and the more advanced episodes of this study are available on our strategytraining.com website. And if you want to keep up to date in terms of what we are doing and know about more episodes that we put out, you should register on firmsconsulting.com be registered on the website so that we can keep you updated via email in terms of what's coming out and that's it for today's episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed doing the episode finally i want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers the only way to get our special pricing and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com it's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.